Good morning, everyone. Um, welcome to River's Edge. Oh, nobody liked the front row this morning. One, Emily, welcome to the front row. Uh, my name is Matt. If you're new here, um, welcome. We are glad that you're here. We are in the middle of a series called Prayer and uh, Prophecy, in which we explore the subject of engaging in life with God. And if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we started the series two weeks ago, uh, really with a heavy focus on prayer, um, starting in the book of Psalms uh, for our first week. And then last week, uh, Matt Karsh taught on the Lord's Prayer, or the way that Jesus taught us to pray. Uh, today, we are continuing in the series by taking on a massive subject and one that is central to engaging in life with God and really that's central to, to prayer and prophecy and just living the God-saturated life. And that is the Holy Spirit. And this subject is, is so massive um, that really it would not be difficult to do an entire series on the Holy Spirit. And I would go so far as to say that we could take a year to study what the scriptures have to say about the Holy Spirit and it would not be a wasted year. Instead, we've got 30 minutes together this morning. So we will do our best starting right now. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to page one. Genesis one, verse one, the first verse in the Bible and we'll get started there this morning. We are going to be all over the scriptures today, uh, so try to keep up if you can, uh, but we're starting where we so often do in Genesis, in the beginning. But before we pick up there, um, let's pray together. Jesus, um, we believe that by some mystery you're actually present here with us this morning as we open the scriptures as we open up our hearts and minds as to who you are and what you're up to in the world, um, the, the reality of the Holy Spirit of God with us means that we're not alone in this pursuit. And as a result, what we do here this morning is not just an intellectual exercise studying the ancient scriptures, but it actually um, is blended with experience as we sense you here at work uh, in our hearts and in our community. And so uh, would you make your presence felt here this morning as we turn our hearts and attention toward you? And um, would, you, would you just bless us? Would you bless the time that we have in the next few minutes just to cover a vast amount of scripture and information? Would you open our hearts and minds to what you want to do? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis 1, verse 1, the beginning of the Bible. And if you've ever read the first uh, chapter or two of the Bible and wondered what on earth is going on here, um, we're actually going to do an in-depth series in Genesis next year. Uh, but for now, there's just one thing that I want us to see. This is Genesis 1, verse 1. It says this. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, or chaotic and useless. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Interesting. God is poised, hovering, ready to bring light into the darkness, ready to bring life up out of the depths, an ordered beauty out of chaos and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters 
Now, the word spirit in Hebrew is the word ruach. Can you say ruach? At least five of you can. And um, ruach in the Hebrew language could be translated wind or breath. And really the idea that was lurking behind those words, the primary concept, was an invisible energy. And so the wind um, was the invisible energy that uh, made the clouds move and the leaves rustle in the, in the breeze. And if you take a deep breath, deep into your lungs, what you sense in that moment is some of the, the life and the vitality and the energy that is wrapped up in your breath. That's all falls under this broad concept of ruach. And, and the ruach of God or the spirit of God is the invisible energy of God, <clears throat> of God that powers stuff. And we find out it is powerful. Your breath keeps you alive, but the breath or ruach of God keeps everything alive. And so before we know anything else about the God of the Bible, the very first thing that we know is that God creates life and that God has a spirit or a ruach. Not that God is spirit, but that God has a spirit. And, and so the Spirit, or what we call the Holy Spirit, gives life. Into the dark and chaotic world, the Spirit is there, hovering, waiting to bring about a new world. And the imagery here of, of hovering is actually the imagery of a mother bird. I'm hovering over her nest or brooding and kind of bringing forth, nurturing new life into existence. Uh, in fact, in the Aramaic uh, translation of the Bible, which was the popular version of Jesus' day, uh, it actually says that the spirit was hovering like a dove over the water. So there's this idea of this brooding kind of uh, bird that's bringing something new into existence. And as the story develops, uh, we see that the spirit or the ruach of God is a way of talking about God's personal presence. And so when we talk about the spirit of God, we're talking about the, the breath of God, so to speak, that, that emanates from God himself. The scriptures say he goes out from the Father. Or some of your translations would say proceeds from the Father, uh, but is somewhat distinct from the Father and the Son. And so what we, what we see is that God's personal life-giving presence, that God's ruach, God's spirit, is in fact God. He, he's a person and not just a blind, impersonal force. And so um, God's, God's ruach, his personal presence, shows up intermittently through the first 75% of your Bibles uh, that we call the Old Testament. Uh, but throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, is kind of lurking in the shadows. Uh, he comes out in key times and places to kind of shape the biblical storyline and empower human beings for certain tasks. For example, um, the first time that we see the Holy Spirit doing this is actually with Daniel. 
um, empowering Daniel to interpret dreams. Um, But he empowers uh, Moses and others to be leaders over Israel, and he even empowers the artists in the tabernacle to make really good art that, that glorifies God and puts him on display, that was inspired by something greater than themselves. And so we see the Spirit kind of showing up in key times and places throughout the Old Testament, shaping the story. But really, the Old Testament, from start to finish, is bursting with anticipation. They're acting in the present and rooted in their present world, but they're looking toward the future because they knew that something had gone tragically wrong in creation and they knew that the creator God had promised to do a new work in fixing it. No, that's true. That is absolutely true. It's in the scriptures. Didn't expect such opposition this morning. But, but in the beginning, in the beginning, the Spirit of God, if you, if, I, some of you were probably thinking that. Just keep it to yourselves, please, okay? Um, in, in the beginning, the Spirit of God brought about a really good world out of the chaos, out of uh, the darkness. But then what we see in the following chapters is that humanity um, unleashes a new type of darkness into creation that we actually uh, unleash a new type of chaos into this world through sin and rebellion, which begins to spread until it overtakes everything. And because humanity is the source of creation's corruption, it will also be the start of creation's redemption. And so God leads, uh, he chooses a nation, Israel, and leads them out of slavery in Egypt to meet with him at Mount Sinai. And it's here that God forms a covenant with this community, making them his people. And he gives them, many of you know the story, he gives them the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other kind of laws and instructions as a means of living out this new covenant relationship that they're uh, forming. It's an expression of the new relationship they have together. And they knew, the Israelites knew, that this law had something to do with bringing the human heart back on track. Uh, That it had something to do with humanity's redemption. And so they treasured this law that they had received from God. But if you know the story of the Old Testament, you know that it is one that is chock full of frustration and failure. One in which God's people uh, come to this place uh, of antagonism with the very law uh, that they're trying to love. And and so in the the midst of this tension, um, God sends prophets to Israel, not just to like rebuke and correct and call them back to the God of love and the covenant which they've uh, entered into, but also to give this same community of people hope for a future day in which God would make a new covenant with his people. And here are some of the things spoken through the various prophets in the Old Testament. The the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant 
though I was a husband to them, completely faithful, declares the Lord, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Which that last phrase is like the goal of the scriptures. But the question becomes, how is this going to happen? To move from this place of tension and and antagonism uh, with God and the way of God to then coming in sync with both of them. We get more clues as we continue to read. This is from Ezekiel. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. This is God speaking. And you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and all of your idols. He's talking about wide sweeping forgiveness that's going to happen. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit or my ruach in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Joel elaborates. Last one. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my ruach or my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy more on that next week or the week after. Um, and, and your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. One day, the Spirit will work a new and creative act of God in the human heart that will empower us at last to love God and others. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Matthew 3.16, and we will pick up there in a moment. So, um, these words that you see from Joel and Ezekiel and others, um, these became part of um, the, the central hope of Israel. And then years started to go by. And then decades started to go by. And then centuries. And still, the people of Israel clung to promises like these from God. That one day, the Holy Spirit, God's personal and empowering presence, His Ruach, would come out of the shadows, so to speak, and take center stage, filling the very hearts of the people and performing acts of new creation. But in the meantime, there's a couple centuries of radio silence. God stops speaking. The prophets stop coming. And the people keep waiting. And then a new prophet comes on the scene named John the Baptist and people start flocking to him by the hundreds and then by the thousands and John makes it clear that he isn't just here to speak to the people on God's behalf as was so often the role of the prophet but rather he's there to prepare them for someone greater. These are his words. John says, I will baptize you with, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit, or God's Ruach, and with fire. He will pour out the Spirit on you, 
like living water. Hmm, I wonder if this is the event that they've been anticipating. And then Jesus himself comes to be baptized by John. And this is the account that we read. If you have your Bibles open to Matthew 3.16, it'll be on the screen as well. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw uh, the spirit or the ruach of God descending like a, what? A dove and alighting on him. Hmm, that's, that's weird. Dove. Dove means peace. Jesus loves peace. Jesus loves birds. I, I don't know. Let's just move on to the next chapter, right? Let's keep reading in our Bibles. Wait, where else have we seen the spirit or the ruach of God hovering over the waters like a dove in Aramaic? Help me out here. Genesis 1, verse 2, the Holy Spirit is hovering, ready to bring about a new creation. And so what Matthew's saying by writing the account this way, he's saying, it's happening. You remember creation in the beginning. This is recreation. And it starts right here and right now. And from this moment forward, Jesus' ministry is marked by the Spirit of God, doing all sorts of, of recreative restorative acts as a part of God's inbreaking kingdom. This is Peter's summary of Jesus' ministry in the book of Acts. He's preaching the gospel. This is how he sums up the whole thing. Listen to this. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. In other words, with, with God's ruach, with God's empowering presence. And he went around doing good, healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. More on healing and the demonic in a couple weeks. But do you see what's happening here? This is all recreation type stuff. And then things get even more interesting because the Holy Spirit doesn't stop with Jesus. And in fact, if we believe Joel and Jeremiah, we know that it can't. Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles, one last time to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. As Jesus concludes his spirit-filled ministry, he begins talking to his disciples about another who will come after him, after his death. And then, when his hour had come, he went to the cross to make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf. But I want you to notice... What happens as Jesus dies on the cross? This is Matthew uh, chapter 27. It says, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hmm. Well, that's, that's weird. The Son of God dies and, and a curtain rips? Like, wait, what, what's the deal with that? 
But I don't want us to miss this. If the personal presence of God was anywhere in Hebrew thinking on earth, it was behind this curtain. This curtain marked the inner chamber of the temple, what they call the Holy of Holies. And if God's presence was on earth, it was behind that curtain. And so in the moment that Jesus dies, the curtain tears in two from top to bottom as if to say that the Spirit of God was coming out of the temple. No more walls. No more boundaries. The, the, the Spirit of God, the personal presence of God is now out there, is right here. And so the Ruach of God does another recreative, regenerative act two days later by raising Jesus from the dead. And then the resurrected Jesus appears to them and they're stunned and they're overjoyed and they can hardly even believe it. And the scriptures, the scriptures say that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Huh, breathe, breath, ruach, Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, that's interesting. And not long after this, we read this account. We, we are finally ready for Acts chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they, the disciples, we're all together in one place. Suddenly, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire or flames that separated and came to rest on or hover over each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. More on tongues next week. But if you just pick up the New Testament, as we so often do, and, and, and we just start reading, and, and we see Jesus' birth and his death and, and, his, and, and his resurrection and his ascension, and, and then we get this weird scene in Acts chapter 2. It, it, it looks rather confusing in our eyes. Wait, wait, what is the Holy Spirit? And what are tongues of fire? And what does it mean to speak in tongues? And, and why is everything unfolding in this way? I mean, this is bizarre. And the locals seem to think so too. If you have your Bibles open, skip down to verse 12. This is the reaction of the crowds. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? I, I don't get it. What's going on? Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. These are people familiar with the scriptures. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Don't miss this. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning doesn't technically exclude drunkenness, but he says, no, he says, no, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel hundreds of years earlier. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in the, those days. 
We actually need the context of the Old Testament to understand what's going on here. And Peter's saying, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. It's happening. God's temple presence that was behind that curtain, it's here. A new covenant starts right now. And it's wrapped up in new creation and renewed hearts. And from this moment forward, nothing is the same. This is the start of the book of Acts and really the start of the church. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll notice that the main character of that book is actually the Holy Spirit. He's out of the shadows, so to speak, and on display, filling the hearts of the people and shaping the storyline in an active way. And and here's just a snapshot of what follows Acts chapter 2 as you get further into the book of Acts in the New Testament. This is some of the stuff that the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit, among other things, speaks, guides, heals in, in multiple senses, empowers us for ministry. One of the primary reasons the Spirit comes is to empower us for the mission of God, for witness and evangelism and inviting people into the family of God. The Holy Spirit empowers us for that stuff, gives us power over the demonic, um, gives spiritual gifts, including words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, etc., And the Spirit bears the fruit of recreation in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the type of stuff that the Holy Spirit does. And as a result of all of this kind of vital, life-changing, God-glorifying stuff, we are commanded in response to be filled with the Spirit. Next slide. And and, and I would argue that this happens on, to be filled with the Spirit, he's talking about an ongoing thing that happens. I would argue a daily basis. We are to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit, or be in tune with God, and to pray in the Spirit on all occasions. There's a sense in which all biological life comes from God, and and, and actually comes from the Spirit or the Ruach of God. But there's a totally different sense in, in which we can be filled with the personal presence of God, animating our being from the inside out, empowering us to walk in Jesus' footsteps. The Holy Spirit is water for our thirsty souls. He is electricity pulsing through our bodies. He is the blood in our veins. If we actually desire to engage in life with God, it starts right here. Following Jesus is not a one-time statement of faith followed by a lifetime of sort of disconnected and distant obedience. That is not discipleship. What you are being invited into It is an ongoing, active, dynamic relationship with the living God who's not in a temple somewhere in Jerusalem, but is right here among us. 
It's a daily walk and an invitation to be filled and keep on being filled with the Spirit. It is this profound mystery into which you are called. And you can call that supernatural or metaphysical or mysterious or beyond comprehension. And it's all of those things. But it's also real, and it's tangible, and it's invigorating, and it's necessary. The Holy Spirit is central to our lives and central to our faith. He is integral to our experience of God. How are the vines meant to stay connected to the branches, so to speak? You are meant to have the life of God dwelling in you and being expressed through you, cultivating relationship with the personal presence of God, embracing this mystery with all of the courage that you have, and then stirring up a hunger within ourselves for more than what we have right now. I think the reason that too many Americans are bored in their faith is because we've put God in a box and then become completely bored with how small we've made him. Is this type of life comfortable? I don't think so. But it's certainly not boring. Instead, the invitation is to engage with God on his terms, not ours, and to invite him not just into the outskirts of our life, but invite him in deep. The Holy Spirit is meant to permeate our hearts and our minds and the very core of who we are. And when he does, it changes everything. It changes the very nature of our faith. It actually says you are a new creation now because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It changes our hearts. It changes the way we engage with God. And therefore, it changes the way we engage in the world around us. It even changes the way that we pray. Paul says in the same way, in line with all this other stuff the Spirit's doing, the Spirit even helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And when he he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Tell me that's not profound. And, and so as we push forward into engaging in life with God, we have to recognize that the Holy Spirit or the Ruach of God, did I like trip a wire or something? I did something. Oops, thanks Lance. Um, I'm just going to keep going. Um, but we have to realize that as we uh, push forward and, and engaging in life with God, it, it kind of demands that, that we have an increasing awareness of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. Even as we pray, we should be cultivating an awareness of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it this way. He says, pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Meaning, we we are to cultivate a a growing awareness of the personal presence of God 
even as we pray. I really did something wrong, I think. I think so. That's the only way I can explain this. Okay, pray in the Spirit on all occasions, which translates to me, we are to cultivate a growing awareness of the personal presence of God even as we pray. And, and, and so as we come to God and we seek to engage with God and, and we hunger for more of Him, we come as His children and we say, God, would you fill me with your Spirit? I, I, I want more. This is what we're saying. When we say, God, I want more of the Holy Spirit, we're saying, God, I want more of you. And, and, and I want to become more like you. And, and, and I want to be more like Jesus who completely fulfilled the human vocation but by being filled with the Ruach of God. And so we are invited to do the same. We'll end with this. This is Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It says, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, followers of Jesus, and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And, and I don't know about you, but, but stuff like this is always really comforting to me. That, that here they are, the followers of Jesus, not even aware that the Holy Spirit exists. And, and, and I think this should put us at ease, you know? Be, because we're all in process together. And all of us in this room are coming from different backgrounds with different experiences um, and, and different desires. Some of us right now this morning are, are starving for more of God and for encounter uh, with Him. And, and, and we're starving to be filled and to be renewed. And, and we're starving for breakthrough. And we're desperate for more of the Spirit of God, for His new life at work within us. Others of us, I imagine, are like these followers of Jesus who are saying, uh, this is the first time I've even heard about the Holy Spirit. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and, and some of us are curious or on the fence. And, and some of you are even reserved or cautious or, or, or nervous when we start talking about the Holy Spirit based on your past experiences or ways you've seen that abused. Uh, it, but the Holy Spirit um, it, it is, is the way that we receive God himself and receive of God. And, and notice that the, the receiving of the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Spirit it is something, as you read through the Scriptures, that often happens in an initial moment, right? The moment that you place your faith in Jesus or the moment that you're baptized or shortly thereafter, and people are being filled with the Spirit. But it's also something that we continually ask for and seek. And so Paul says, essentially, keep on being filled with the Spirit, like air into a balloon, like fuel into an airborne plane, like, like water being poured out on a dry and thirsty ground, like ruach or wind being captured in your sails, propelling you forward. And so the invitation today and, and really every day is that we would approach God 
in expectancy and say, God, fill me with your ruach. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your, your personal, empowering presence. You're the one that I desire. Because of all the things that God could give us, the thing that he most desires to give us is himself. Would you stand with me uh, as we close? Uh, We're just going to end this morning with a few minutes of prayer. And clearly the Holy Spirit's already here because the system's overloading. Um, But no, we, in in all seriousness, um, we don't usually do this. Uh, We don't usually end a gathering in this way uh, with um, prayer in in this sense. But what I'm going to invite us to do as the band comes back up and plays with or without speakers um, is that we're just going to take a moment and just kind of um, posture ourselves um, in, in a place of receiving, in, in a place of receiving from God, especially if, if you're here this morning and you're saying, hey, I actually want to engage with God in real time. I actually want more of his personal empowering presence. I actually want more of the Spirit. Um, and so I'd invite you, if you feel comfortable, to just um, open your hands if you want to. Um, you can sit, you can stand. Um, you can do whatever you want during this, this time. Um, you, can, you can pray um, by yourself. Um, in a few minutes when we head to communion, we're actually going to have a prayer team up front. Um, if you want prayer for anything in the world or you just want to receive more of God. Um, but what we're doing is just posturing ourselves to receive from Him uh, and we're just acknowledging that He's here with us. Um, that God's not holding back that God wants to give you more of himself, that God wants you to be filled with the Spirit and keep on being filled with the Spirit. And you'll notice if you read through the Scriptures that we're never given instructions as to how that happens. Jesus never gives us like four steps to success. Paul never breaks it down any further than that. He just says, hey, be filled with the Spirit. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. I'll pray, and we're just going to take some time, three minutes, five minutes.